0: The following is a President's Chapel by Professor Joel Kim, President of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this chapel message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. wscal.edu 888-480-8474 Well, friends, thank you for joining us. In this, our first um, morning devotion for the spring semester of the academic year 2021. As you can see, we are beginning this semester again online. We're unable to open up as a campus at the moment, but we're prayerful and we ask you to join us as well in praying that the circumstances change quickly so that we can bring the students back on campus well. We look forward to seeing you on campus joining us for our chapel times and fellowshipping with you as well. There are a few other couple things that I wanna share with you about what's going on on campus. We just completed our January modular courses, which meant that many students joined us online throughout the country and even throughout the world to take some of the courses that we had. We're so grateful for the professors who are here teaching with us as well as the students that joined us. And today is the first day of the spring semester, as I mentioned earlier with 12 new students joining um, uh, over 100 students that are already here. And we look forward to having a good semester encouraging one another, teaching one another, and sharpening one another for kingdom service as well. One last bit of news, which is very good news for us, is that we've been praying for and waiting for Dr. Nick Brennan to join us for some time. And I can tell you, he is now here, having gone through a couple weeks of isolation. He's now joined us on campus. Uh, to teach the students and also fellowship with us. We're grateful that he's here. We're grateful for the Lord's provisions, and not just for Nick, but for all of us. We're so grateful that the Lord has led us thus far. Many of us are in a reflective mood and mode as we begin our new year, and I want to draw our attention to Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 and following this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 18, second half of that verse until the end of verse 26, where the Lord declares, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for, you progress and, uh, for your pro- progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again." So far the reading of the word. There are many words in the last year that became common in our vocabulary, words and phrases such as social distancing social distancing, or PPEs, personal protective equipment, asymptomatic, I'm not exactly sure if I've ever used that word before, Karens, to refer to certain folks, WFH, work from home, which is a popular way, uh, a shorthand way of referring to those who are remote working, and Zoom. The beginning of 2000, many of us were using Zoom certainly was not that popular, but now it's taken on a verbal form, like Xeroxing paper, where it's so popular, that particular product, our campus is using it, and I know that many are as well. There are also words or phrases that were overused last year. Words and phrases such as the new normal. We're still not sure what that new normal is, but new normal out of abundance of caution. These are phrases that I've used quite a bit as well and our newsletters sent out to students and our donors also included those words. Words such as pivot, transitioning to new settings and new environments and new methods, right sizing, and perhaps you've heard of the word hybrid. Um, Hybrid is now used for almost everything and it can refer to multiple formats but certainly we've used that word quite a bit here as well as we pivoted to a new form of delivery system for our educational model here. But there is one word that I think needs to be retired at some point, and I'm not exactly sure if you use them, I've used them quite a bit, and the word is unprecedented, unprecedented. Everything is unprecedented at the moment, where there is no precedence the kind of pandemic, the difficulties that people are facing, the national discussions and challenges, as well as many other local challenges in our churches and our families as well, unprecedented. But I do wonder sometimes whether 2020 and the beginnings of 2021 are as unprecedented as we think it is. I want to be delicate here and I hope you don't misunderstand me here. I don't mean to minimize the sufferings and the difficulties experienced and felt by many. Those are real and we recognize and we are praying for you and many others as well. But I am not convinced when you look at history that these things, all the things, are as unprecedented as we believe them to be, thinking again that our time is something special and different from the rest. Even more so, I need to remind my thankless self that for great majority of the world of any generation, mine included, my experience of the pandemic life is many of their experience and ideals of a dream life. That for great majority of the world's countries, as well as people, what I've experienced and what many of you are experiencing as well who are on this, oftentimes are filled with elements of blessing that many do not get to experience, even now in many parts of the world. So this morning, I want to begin our semester, for myself and for all of us, thinking about boundless joy in three parts, boundless joy as the first, tethered joy as the second, and reflecting upon the Apostle Paul, joyful perspective. You may note that sometimes Paul does not make sense. In this, the book of Philippians that he writes, he is imprisoned at the moment, and he's awaiting a trial, in fact, facing a tribunal that may determine his life. Even the section before is an indication of the kind of character Paul is, where we are told through the lips of those who are bringing information to Paul, that many are attacking Paul outside, attacking him for sitting in prison, attacking him for not being as powerful or perhaps as much of a leader as others are, simply being attacked and stabbed in the back for the ministry that he's engaged in. And in fact, this is no isolated incident for Paul either. He speaks of physical difficulties that he could not pray away, ministry challenges that made him despair, and opposition to faith that would fill a list. In fact, he has a list in 2 Corinthians 11, when he talks about five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. I read the list in full just so you have the impact of what Paul experienced, even perhaps at the end, the anxiety that he honestly admits to. Yet this particular section in Philippians is framed by rejoicing. He begins the section in 118 with rejoicing and ends in verse 26 with confidence that the Philippians will be filled with the overflowing joy in Christ. And this is also not isolated in Philippians. His encouragement throughout has been rejoice. Verse 4 of chapter 1, I always pray... With joy, there are so many things that one can mention. With fervency, with focus, with desire, with tears. But he says, I pray with joy. Verse 18 uh, begins with, and because of this, I rejoice. Verse 25 in chapter 1, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. If circumstances, what we see and what we touch, were primary, joy or joyful are not the words that I would think of first for Paul. But sitting in prison with his life on the line, Paul's joy, though bound, is boundless. And he reminds us of the necessity of joy and the reminder of the importance of joy. Paul's joy is boundless because it's tethered to something, it's tethered to something besides present circumstances and daily ups and downs of emotion. Chapter 1 verse 18 says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The words here suggest a courtroom drama taking place. And the word deliverance is most often used by Paul in the context of salvation. And moreover, he seems genuinely unsure about his future since his deliverance will occur regardless of what happens, whether death by execution or life by release. Despite awaiting the verdict of the Roman tribunal, Paul's reflections fall not on the uncertain verdict of the Roman court, but rests elsewhere. His mind rests confidently in the verdict of the heavenly court, where the verdict has already been determined, where he is assured of being vindicated. There is a courtroom drama taking place right before our eyes on earth, but in the heavenlies, the court drama is already over. This court, a twofold court drama is what Paul seems to have in mind in verse 19 when he consciously borrows the words of Job and says, this will turn out for my deliverance, taking the words of Job 13. In making the words of Job his own, Paul helps his readers understand that his own situation is similar to Analogous to the one that Job faced, in a similar courtroom drama, Job faced harsh accusations from his comforters, his friends, who charge that Job's present difficult circumstances is a result of some hidden sin, something that he's been covering up. Job answers his accusers by pleading his innocence and declaring his confidence in the faithfulness of God who will vindicate him. Although he may never be delivered from his present trials and difficulties, Job knows with confidence that his standing before God is secure. And like Job, Paul fully expects to be vindicated by God, no matter the decision of the Roman court. For friends, at the heart of Paul's joyful confidence despite the circumstances, is his knowledge of his status before God, his newfound status before God. Whether he is acquitted or executed by the Roman court, he stands unafraid, filled with joy, because his immediate fate pales in comparison to his status as Christ's own. As Ephesians 2 reminds us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, but God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Romans 8 reminds us of the same, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. For you see, we're not foster children, where we believe that we're provisional, probationary, or temporary in our relationship with God. We are adopted children in Christ, where things are completed, unconditional, and the status is permanent. For we know God's faithfulness toward his sons and daughters. What assures Paul even more is the fact that his status cannot be overturned. At work in Paul's life is the same living God whom he confessed earlier in chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And friends, his joy results from God's faithfulness which offered him confidence in persevering until the end. This is why we are able to say that Paul's joy, or biblical joy, is tethered. It's tethered not to our circumstances or the things that we see and touch. It's tethered to unchangeable hope. Where the heart of the New Testament concept is this, a person can have joy even when he is mourning, suffering, or undergoing different circumstances because the roots of that joy are not found on this side of glory. This is not some positive thinking or delusion, but true rejoicing is in remembering that no matter our place in life, our standing and our eternal destiny offers us unending hope and inexpressible joy that this world can never know. We have tethered joy because of our hope in Christ Jesus. This should somehow alter our perspective. In fact, our perspective of life should be joyful. Um, We have a staff member here, when she signs off on our email, she always ends with these words, or this word, when she says, joyful, And then she puts her name to it. Now, it could be one of those things we could fake and just say ourselves these things until we believe. I don't think so. Our perspective should change. For we live with heavenly longing, where the reality of heaven is real. We're told in verse 21 through 23, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. While remaining in the flesh may be good, dying and being with Christ is even better for Paul. I don't know how many of us can say that. Even better for Paul, a point that is emphasized by stringing together multiple comparatives, translated, because it's difficult, better by far. It's better by far because he desires to realize his lifelong dream. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, our dream of being with Christ. As some commentators indicate wrongly, This is not an expression of suicidal tendencies, nor of Paul's discontentment with life. For Paul, dying is inseparably related to what he gains. In this case, Christ, not what he loses. This is an expression of someone whose life has been so saturated with Christ that his singular desire is to be with Christ. As he says later on in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Even the privileges of life and circumstances and the many blessings cannot deter Paul from seeking to be with Christ since he has already counted these things lost for the sake of Christ Jesus. This is not Paul advocating for a pie-in-the-sky or otherworldly religion. He is also not saying that the real life is in a different realm and this human life on earth is merely shadowy and unimportant. Neither of these is true. But precisely because of the life in Christ Jesus is in the heavenlies with God in which perfection is not a goal but a reality for us, Christians are able to live in this world with otherworldly confidence and joy because our hope is rooted there. Thus, Paul's statement expresses his singular passion for Christ. His circumstances drives him to this singular passion. He is imprisoned for Christ. His expressed desire in life is to gain Christ and be found in him. And his hope is that Christ will be honored, whether in life or death, to him whose singular passion is Christ. Both life and death provide Christ-honoring possibilities. Thus this dilemma, to be or not to be. On the one hand, to live is Christ. In being released from prison, he fully expects to continue his fruitful labor for the advancement of the gospel, especially among the Philippians who require his presence for their continued progress in their faith. On the other hand, to die is simply gain. Dying will mean meeting with the one that he's been dreaming about. What we see here even as he goes through this discussion in his own mind, although he clearly states his preference, he is more than willing to accept the path chosen for him by God, whatever the path. Whether in life or in death, as long as Christ be glorified in his life, he himself is satisfied. Whether life or death, Christ is glorified in whatever he does, he is satisfied. This is so like him, isn't it? Well, what does it matter when people criticize me, he says. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Whatever happens and whatever is swirling around us, if Christ is glorified in his life, your life and mine, He is satisfied. In many ways, the last year is a bit of a gut check moment for all of us. Um, I think I might have shared with some of you the time when we had our son, Simeon, uh, about a month into his life in 2007, we had this big fire in San Diego where we had to pack up our bags and leave and evacuate for about a week, and even the campus closed down during that time. When we filled up all that we thought we needed in the minivan in the back where we have space, it was only about half full. We thought we put everything that we needed in there, essential things like pictures, computer, uh, clothes for kids, and so on. As we're driving up, my wife and I were jokingly talking about how we either need to get more expensive stuff that we consider to be essential, or need to realize that most of what we have are not essential and perhaps not necessary for us as much anymore. Now, that's silly in some ways, though that was at that point in time a gut check. In many ways, this is now a gut check for us. The psalmist says in Psalm 73:25, "'Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire beside you,' is what he said, and we echo those words well. In many ways, this is a moment for us to reflect Friends, what makes Christianity unique is not uh, its ability to do well and be well and be joyful when things are going well. Even unbelievers can simply do that. But we rejoice in the midst of suffering, not because of joy, because we enjoy suffering, or because we anticipate change in circumstances in life that will bring about our joy. No, no, we rejoice in the midst of suffering because God is there. We rejoice in the midst of sufferings because God walks beside us. We rejoice in the midst of suffering because we know that our hope is not found in these things, but in Christ alone, and our eyes and minds are set on him. May the Lord bless you, and may the Spirit work among us, that as we study, as we meditate, as we prayerfully engage the word of God, he will fill us richly with the understanding of his presence and his blessings. That we are indeed able to say, as long as Christ be glorified in me, in us, in this institution and in your families and churches, that we are satisfied and that we are joyful because of him. Let's pray. Father, in Christ Jesus, we rejoice, for he has taken us from the dominion of death into the life of the kingdom of Christ Jesus for us to live and enjoy and be blessed. Grant us perspective that's heavenly. Fill us with joyful hearts, O Lord. Happy, uh, uh, Lord, not because of the circumstances around us or the anticipated changes, but simply filled with the growing knowledge of who you are, that we know that having you is sufficient for us. So lead us, teach us and guide us, not only for us as individuals, but our institution, our local churches, as well as many who are joining us online and their families. Allow us as your sons and daughters to rejoice and give thanksgiving to you, for you have been so good to us. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, your son.